Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to Booksmart's Authors on Show with Christy Francie. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I am your show host, Christina Francie. And today I'm thrilled to be interviewing Nancy, who started her professional career as a critical care nurse and changed professions in her early 30s, becoming a highly regarded divorce attorney. She is the author of the debut novel, Around Which All Things Bend, a story about making decisions about the most important relationships in life. It explores making the right decisions when you choose a life partner. She is also the author of the upcoming book, The Malnourished Marriage, Five Essential Emotional Nutrients for a Healthy Relationship. Nancy, it is such an honor to have you on the show. I'm really excited to talk about the book and to dive into the topic of marriage. So first things first, what made you write Which All Things Bend and how come you wrote it in a novel style? Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here. And What made me write the book was the last 10 years of my practice, my divorce practice, I started representing the children who had been the subject of custody disputes where I had been counsel for one of their parents. Mm -hmm. And 15 years, 20 years later, they're sitting in my office getting their own divorce. And I said to myself, you know, when I retire, my life's passion. I've spent 34 years taking apart marriages. I want to spend my retirement trying to keep them from breaking up. And so this book is really my first attempt at explaining to people in a way that they can identify with the characters. I find that people would rather chew cut glass than read how-to books about marriage and personal development. There are some fabulous books out there that have three reviews or 63 reviews, and they're fabulous, you know, self-help books. They're fabulous books on marriage and and premarital counseling, but nobody wants to read them, but they will devour a novel. And that's why I chose to do it in novel form, because if they identify with the character, then they're getting the message that I'm trying to put across. That's brilliant. You know, I really like that spin and how you did that because people do identify with with characters and and stories, probably, like you said, more so than self-help. They're like, oh, I don't need help. But they'll definitely dive into a, a wonderful story that's relatable and something that they can see themselves in as well. Um, so that was really brilliant. I like your spin on that. So I'm really excited. We were kind of talking a little bit before the show started. And I would really love to discuss what are the important questions you think couples should discuss before even getting married? Um, You know, you're talking about you want to keep people together instead of separating them. What's the secret sauce? What have you learned in um, through your practice? Well, I've learned through my practice and my own life experience that if you don't ask the right questions before you get married, after you get married, it's too late when you find them out. And I think the primary one, at least today, and that may not be applicable five or 10 years ago, but today, one of the biggest things that a couple needs to discuss is, what is your debt? What are you coming into this marriage with? Mm -hmm. 
because so many people, people who are getting married today are getting married much later. The average is 28 for a woman and 32 to 34 for a man. They're coming to the marriage primarily with school debt, credit card debt, car debt, travel debt. And if you don't talk about it before you get married, after you get married and you find out that your spouse has all of this debt, the question is, do they actually expect me to pay it off for them? So, I mean, that's something that really needs to be discussed. Uh, during COVID, I personally know three young ladies who were engaged to be married. And because of COVID, they actually, two of them were actually living with their, their intended, their fiancés, mm -hmm. but the one decided to live with him while because of COVID and uh, they didn't want to be separated. They, they, three of them found out about debt and or other issues that had not been disclosed to them. And, but for the fact that they were together 24 seven and had an opportunity to, to see things coming to the house or on the computer that they discovered that they would not have known. And they broke off the engagements. All three of them did. Oh, and they wow. feel much better for the fact that they found out that they were being deceived yeah. because not disclosing something about your past is a lie. It's a deception. If you're intending to marry somebody that you've chosen as your life partner and you don't share, Mark Twain said, we each have a dark side of the moon. And if you don't share your dark side of the moon, that's really not fair to the person you say you love and want to spend the rest of your life with. No, that's not. It's almost like being conned into like having to pay someone else's debt. It's like, it's almost like sneaky in a way. It is. And that's, I think, what these young women and many other people take exception to. And financial infidelity is now a big cause of of divorce in marriages. Mm -hmm. So you get married and you find out that the person that you've married has assigned someone else on their um, their insurance or their IRA or whatever, or taken out a loan that you don't know about and you signed it unwittingly because something was misrepresented to you. And financial infidelity is a big issue in marriages today. So I would really caution people who are thinking about getting married to do some premarital discussions. The next thing that you have to discuss before you get married is what is your communication style? Mm -hmm. Are you somebody, and if you don't learn this while you're dating them, sit down and have the discussion. If you haven't seen it with your own eyes, you need to explore it. Are you somebody who just, you know, decides you're based on your gut instinct or are you somebody who really ponders and thinks and explores and does some research about an issue? Because inevitably, inevitably, no matter how much you love this person or think you love them, and we'll discuss that in a minute, but how much you love them, it is inevitable. We're human. We're going to have disagreements. We're not marrying the same person in, you know, of a family of origin. <laughs> if you are, you got bigger problems than that. <laughs> but in any event, um, you know, you're not from the same community. Sometimes you're not even the same color or the same culture mm -hmm. and you're going to have differences. And so 
really figuring out how you're going to resolve these conflicts before you get married. I have, I have counseled many, many young couples about premarital counseling before they get married. And I say, if you haven't had one enormous fight, delay the wedding, <laughs> because you have to have one big fight to find out how you fight. Exactly. Because you're going to find out after you're married and it can destroy your marriage if if you have the kind of um, response that's contemptuous, ridicule, criticize, name calling. If that's the kind of response you get in a conflict before you get married, it's the death knell of your of your marriage after you get married. Oh. John Gottman, who is the world famous researcher. Uh, without question, uh, on relationships, says that he can tell um, what if a part if a couple who he he's counseling and doing a study on is going to get divorced if they show contempt towards this uh, their, uh, each other, meaning eye rolling, looking away, detachment, name calling, and he says it's not what you fight about; it's how you fight. Mm-hmm. So that is the other really big critical issue. Finances, how you communicate, and remember that you everything that you are, you you are you inherited from your family of origin. Mm-hmm. So if you came from a really dysfunctional family where your parents really didn't get along, but they stayed together, you never saw any you know positive results in a conflict you're going to carry that with you to your next relationship. Mm-hmm. And there may be some need to go to premarital counseling, which by the way, Brides Magazine in June of 2022 is recommending all couples go to Brides <laughs> premarital counseling. This is Brides Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> who's in the business of making sure people get married. Exactly. Now we, it really tells us where we are in, in society and, and marriage, but It's important. Um, You know, I didn't do premarital counseling, which, you know, I kind of wish I did. And um, I didn't have like the huge, enormous fight before, you know, getting married and then figured out how we fought after it. So I think that these are really great because I think a lot of people do miss these steps because they want to be on like their best behavior sometimes, you know, Well, that's natural because there are three stages of falling in love. Mm -hmm. And the first stage is that, you know, um, obsessive. It's basically, you know, a very motivated by the species to to reproduce. So it's motivated by sex. Mm -hmm. You're really looking for somebody to sexually partner up with. And what happens in that stage chemically is that dopamine is really pumping in your brain and your brain on dopamine, it activates the same area of the brain that is activated when you take cocaine. Mm-hmm. So you're in a natural high. Um, you remember John Denver? I mean, you probably don't, you're too young, but he was a famous singer. And um, he used to call about mountain high, mountain high and talking about being high. Mm-hmm. Well, on dopamine, you're high. And mind you, you cannot enter into a legal contract if you're drunk. 
but you're love drunk on dopamine and you walk up the aisle or you walk up wherever on the beach or wherever you're getting married and you say, I do and commit to a contract. Marriage is a contract Mm -hmm. and you're committing to that high on dopamine and dopamine only lasts 18 to 24 months because the body has to detoxify that dopamine and the body cannot stand a long-term level of that kind of high. So the next stage is when serotonin, which is a calming um, chemical or hormone, calms you down and you start to become much more intimate in the relationship, mm-hmm. feeling a, a, a closeness. Um, again, most of it is generated through sexual closeness. But it's it's a it's a stage in your relationship where you think it's going to be okay, even if you've had a fight or two. Mm-hmm. And then the third stage is when you bond, and that stage is when the chemical oxytocin kicks in. And oxytocin is the is the premier bonding hormone. Every woman who's had a child has heard the term oxytocin from her her OBGYN, I'm sure. Oxytocin is what starts labor. Oxytocin is uh, the hormone that's secreted that helps you bond with this baby. And oxytocin is what helps you bond with this person that you decided you were going to marry that now maybe you're having second thoughts about. But you're still still bonding with them for, for various reasons, primarily through the help of oxytocin. So when you say, you know, you, you, you should look, look, you should have seen things or I knew that there were red flags, but I thought it would change after we get married. It doesn't change. No. And when you see those red flags, what you really need to do is to figure out if there's something that you can really tolerate long term. I often tell my clients when they come into the office for an interview about their their marriage is not going well at all. They're not sure that, totally sure that they want to get divorced, but they want to know what happens if they do get divorced. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, what you're telling me is that you're having the same argument over and over again, and you're not getting any resolution. And it's like you're in McDonald's banging on the counter. I want a steak. I want a steak. You're not going to get a steak in McDonald's. Yeah. So if you keep asking this person who you still have this conflict over and over with, think about it. Think about yourself being at McDonald's, banging on the counter, asking for a steak. You're the one who looks like the fool. I know. I look like the Looney Tune. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Well, I doubt that. But, um, you know, I say if you think you can, you know, you need steak instead of hamburger, you're in the wrong relationship. So you have two choices, either compromise and decide that you're going to eat hamburger the rest of your life and give up on that argument that you keep having over and over again, because there's not going to be any resolution from what you're telling me, or be brave enough, have enough courage to change. And change is sometimes good. You know, divorce is not necessarily the end of everything. It can very much be a beginning. A breakup can be a wake up. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, I tried very hard, primarily because of my nursing background, to look at my clients holistically and help them get through that heart wrenching period 
when you feel like you can't eat, you can't sleep, you're so sick about the fact that you've had this failed marriage or failed relationship. And it's even worse if you've been dumped Mm -hmm. by somebody that you trusted, you gave your heart to, and you thought that this person was going to respond by protecting you, by loving you, by standing by you during the hard times. Mm-hmm. I know from personal experience, I got dumb for somebody 20 years younger. <laughs> oh, wow. And if that doesn't set you back on your heels, <laughs> uh, you know, and it really, you know, I went into therapy because I wanted to know what mistakes I was making. I didn't want to make the same mistake if I decided ever to get married, which at the time I thought I was never getting married again, but subsequently met the person I should have married the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm exceptionally happy right now, but I went to therapy for a year and a half. So I've often suggested to my clients, you know, after the, the marriage fails, you know, get some help, try to yeah. find out what went wrong. Is it your communication style? Is it their communication style? You know, how are you going to resolve conflict in the second relationship? Because there will be conflict. There's going to be conflict. Mm -hmm. People who don't fight are either, you know, Minnie Mouse or have no ego or they're um, cyborgs. Yeah. (laughs) They're just, they're just walking through life. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. Which no. is not what the protagonist in my book did. He decided that he wasn't going to walk through life. He wasn't going to live a prescribed life. And basically that's what he'd been doing. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds like a great book to get into. So what's like the biggest fear about getting married? I think. The biggest fear for people is not about getting married. Mm -hmm. What I've heard is the biggest fear is that they don't want to be alone or they're getting married older. You know, they're not, you know, when I got married the first time, I was 19 years old. Oh, yeah. My ex-husband was going to Vietnam. We were all doing it. (laughs) It was just something you did Um, in any event. Um. You don't know what you're doing at 19, you know, at 25, 28, you're now much more mature. Most people have been through college or some sort of technical or professional school, have had some education, have had a few relationships, um, which is a much healthier way to do it than my age group, which is why people over 50, the divorce rate has doubled. People over 60, the divorce rate has tripled. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, The Pew Research has come out with a very involved study, detailed study, and um, have found that because we're living longer and the expectation is that they're going to have another 30, maybe 40 years of life, um, they don't want to live in an unhappy relationship. Well, it could like kill you sooner. Well, oh, that's so well said. (laughs) <laughs> that is so well said. I'm I mean, so happy you I'm so happy you made that point because living in a unhappy relationship where there's contempt or a ridicule or detachment when you're having an argument, the response is, I'm not going to discuss this and walks out the door. Um that is the worst. That detachment, that abandonment 
is really such a slap in the face. Yeah. But what happens if you're in a bad relationship is we talked about a lot of the hormones in relationships, cortisol, and you've probably heard of cortisol. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the, the, you know, the, the fad diets talk about cortisol and cortisol does cause obesity. It also causes high blood pressure, heart problems. It causes dementia. Mm -hmm. it, uh, you are so right. It, it really shortens your life. Um, the, the statistics used, used to be, and I'm laughing. I mean, it's not funny, um, because people die. <laughs> um, but it used to be that men and women who were married in their older age lived longer and were happier. And now it's the reverse yeah. men and women who've been married for 30 or 40 years and have been unhappy for 10 or 15 of them aren't doing as well. As people who decide that no matter how old I am, I'm getting, you know, I have to move on. I have to have the courage to change this because I want to live life. It's not that we're living longer or, you know, it, it's what life are you living? I mean, that's really how people are looking at it now, which I don't think is a bad thing myself. No, I mean, our minds are so connected to our body. And no matter what, if we try to like just push through it and just live our day to day. And just like, even in an unhappy marriage, it's going to come through in our body. We're going to have, you know, the high blood pressures, the stomach issues, um, anxiety, whatever it is, like the stress, like your body is still going to tell you that there's something wrong and it's okay to be a little selfish because if you're not in a good state and there's children involved, it's not a good look for them to see you like that. And I think it's fair for the children to see something healthy, strive for like a healthy relationship. So then they don't repeat the same cycles that you're repeating. Like you said, in the beginning, sometimes you'd have like the children coming after and then they're getting their divorces. So um, my other question too, is like, what, what are your thoughts on like prenups and stuff like before getting married and, and discussing all that? Do you think that like every couple should have it? Or do you think it's preference just depends? Um, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are if whether you execute a prenuptial agreement or not, you should go through exactly the same steps mm -hmm. that you would go through if you were actually going to sign a prenup. Mm -hmm. And that and that is to disclose all your assets and your debts, to disclose, you know, po potential inheritances, um, you know, what your life plan is. Are you going to stay with the same company or is your plan to start your own company? And are you expecting us to fund that company? And God forbid we get divorced. Are you expecting that I'm not going to get anything out of it? If I've, you know, I've given you money to to uh, start this company or participated in it. There are so many issues associated with the contract of marriage and every state. There are 47 states and three commonwealths and every state and commonwealth has already written a prenuptial agreement for you. It's yeah. called their divorce code. Mm. Um, so unless you do an agreement, a prenuptial agreement. And you take control over what's going to happen when you get divorced. The state's going to do it for you. And you may not be as happy with what the state says as what the two of you will agree to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a lack of real education 
Although having said that, there's a big caveat. And I think I mentioned the Bride Magazine article and I think it was in that article. And if it, if it wasn't, I, I read it uh, some in a research paper. The American Association of Matrimonial Lawyers recently did a survey and they surveyed 15,000 lawyers who practice just matrimonial law. And they found that there's a 31% increase in prenuptial agreements among millennials. Yeah, I have I'm in one. Millennials are so smart. I mean, people denigrate the younger generation. I haven't seen that. I've seen the opposite. I think they're smarter. They're smart whips. I mean, they the women are educated. They've seen perhaps their own families go through what their mothers or fathers went through in a divorce, and that's not going to happen to them. So I applaud it when people actually, if they don't actually execute the agreement, they they go through the steps to to explore what each of the parties who are going to enter into a contract for life allegedly for life, um, they hope for life. Um, how is that going to work if it, we don't make it? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it this way, have your audience think about it this way. If you got on an airplane and the pilot said, announced over the loudspeaker, we have a 40%, we have a 50% chance of making it to our destination. What would you do? Get off That's that plane. the same percentage that you have of having a successful life destination with the person that you're marrying. Oh, I'd get off the plane. I mean, I ain't taking no well, 50. Or <laughs> make sure you have a parachute. Oh yeah, something like I need plan B, but if it's just, you got this or this, it's like, okay, well, I'll just take the next flight then maybe. <laughs> well, and the next flight would probably have a prenuptial agreement in it. What I'm trying to say is that be realistic. I mean, the Disneyfication of marriage in this country is not helping anyone stay married or deal with all the issues that are involved when you do get married. And there are many issues that will arise that you can't foresee because life changes. Things happen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people get sick. Yeah. Sometimes you lose your job. Sometimes there's a pandemic, for God's sakes. I mean, be another one. We we don't know. You know, life is a journey. They say, and it is a journey, and we want somebody to be with us to to watch our back, to help us when we feel like falling down. Pick us up. Yeah. But if you come home from a bad day, you're living together, or you just call your your fiance or the person you're really into. You say, "Boy, I really." I got beaten up today. I just had a terrible day at work. And they sound as if they're still typing on their computer board or they're distracted and they're looking at something and they're at, they're answering inappropriately to you. That is a huge red flag. Yeah. On the other hand, if they say, I'm in the middle of something, give me five or 10 minutes and I will be over there. I'm going to pick up a bottle of wine or if they don't drink, you know, I'll pick up some seltzer. I don't care, but I'll, we're going to be together tonight and I'm going to support you. We're going to talk about what the problem is. Well, that's, still that's extremely thoughtful. You know, that's what you're expecting. It's called respect too. You know, I think one of the big things though, 
um, is if you're in a relationship with someone and they degrade you and they call you names and they devalue who you are, that can be very taxing on your body, on everything. And I mean, that's like a big red flag for me, you know? Uh, it should be a big red flag for everyone. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The denigration is something that when it comes from the mouth of someone who you've given your heart to and you've shared the dark side of the moon, your dark side of the moon with, and they know all your weak spots and they, they call those weak spots up during a dispute with you, that is the biggest red flag. That's the biggest sign that this is not the right person for you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've represented people who are married six or eight months after the 250 people at the wedding, you know, when the 80, 150, $200,000 wedding, yeah. but they didn't realize that the person that they were marrying was not going to be supportive of them. Exactly. Maybe a little bit of a narcissist. <laughs> oh, well, that's a big issue. I mean, <laughs> I think the entire country is narcissistic at this point um, through self-protection for many reasons. But um, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nancy, this has been such a great conversation. And I think, you know, you brought up some really good points that people need to discuss with their partners before even entering into a marriage contract. Now, where can people find your amazing book? Um, my book, again, is Around Which All Things Bend. And of course, that's love. Love is the thing around which we bend ourselves into pretzels over to get and to give. And each of us has a breaking point. At some point, you're going to feel as if the emotional drain and stress of bending to get love or give love is not worth it. And that's when you have to regroup. Mm -hmm. And if it happens before you get married, the best thing to do is to get out of the engagement or relationship. And that's what happens in this book. This young man who's an Afghan veteran comes home. Um, he's the heir to a Montana ranch. And um, you, you follow his journey, his epiphany to realize that it's not about finding the right person in a relationship. It's about being the right person for the relationship. And um, it, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever books are sold. Um, my website, where I have a lot of blogs, and I have one blog that's getting, because this is engagement season, between Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day, more people get engaged in the United States than at any other time. Mm -hmm. I have a blog about um, getting married, about prenuptial agreements, and also about maybe something borrowed should not be his name. <laughs> and that's getting a lot of traction right now because many women aren't changing their name. Yeah. And there was just a New York Times article about why don't men change their names? So, I mean, there's, you know, again, a new thinking about not changing your name. Um, I also, um, I said I have a website, uh, Nancy, N-A-N-C-Y, Perpal, P as in Peter, E-R, P as in Peter, A-L-L.com. I'm on Facebook author, Nancy Perpal, Instagram, Nancy Perpal author. And um, I also have an upcoming speaking engagement 
at the Lakewood Ranch Golf and Country Club in Lakewood Ranch, Florida. If any of your listeners are in Lakewood Ranch or Bradenton, it's on December 8th. If you'd like to come, it's 12 noon. Um, lunch is served 12 to 2. And you can RSVP at NAP at Nancy Perpal, P-E-R-P-A-L-L dot com. Awesome. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on this episode of Book Smarts Authors on Show. It was such an honor to have you on and discussing. And thank you everyone for listening. And I hope to see you all in the next one. Bye, thank guys. You so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Smarts Authors on Show here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe, and don't forget to tell your friends.